And about this time of year, Paul and I were in Dallas in June. And one of our stops involved, as it usually does, a shopping trip. And there came that day to go out on that shopping excursion. And it was one of those trips where it takes, in the Dallas area, about an hour to get to the store, and then an hour at the store, and then an hour to get back. And I survived those episodes by finding a store that caters to my interest. And so while Paula was shopping, I found in that same area an office depot. And I walked in, and right in front of me, a huge barrier of school supplies of every variety in June, I almost tripped over the display. And I thought, when I get back home, I had better start working on my annual back-to-school sermon. And I did. And you already know that's what you're getting today. And I know that not everybody here is in school or a parent. But I know this. Everyone here wants the parents and the children and the teachers here to be ready to take their faith into that circumstance and to be ready for whatever they encounter in the school circumstance to activate that faith. It has been said many times in this building and from this pulpit that we are not just Christians while we're here in this structure. Being a Christian is daily business. It is who you are, wherever you are. The principles and Bible stories and gospel teaching that we get here, we need to use out there. Going to school is a big deal. It consumes a lot of time. It brings children into situations that can be good or might not be good. Parents have struggles and hard choices to make about the education of their children and what the children might encounter in those circumstances. And it behooves us to bring our faith into all of that and a faith that is solid and active and responsive from day to day, whether you're in school or in the workplace, wherever you are. And so I deliver a back-to-school sermon every year. I've been doing this over many years, 10 or 15, I suppose. And the sermons are not all the same. There is a different emphasis each year. And this year, the emphasis is going to be on caution. Caution. The word caution means care taken to avoid danger. Let us work with that simple definition. Care taken 
to avoid danger. Christians ought to be cautious people about our responses to temptation, about our association with people who may not be good for us. Caution applied here during worship. Caution that we praise God properly and from the heart. Caution that we honor Christ in spirit and in truth. Caution about our attitudes and our conduct in the home setting, at the workplace, in the neighborhood, in recreational settings. Caution is a watchword for Christians. And for parents and students, caution about educational involvements and everything that may be packaged in to the educational circumstances in our time. I never designed these sermons to be critical of public or private education or the personnel, the staff, the teachers. That's not the point. Please remember that being a Christian is daily business. As I said earlier, it is who you are wherever you are. So let's make caution the watchword in our study together today. Like Joshua, who said in Joshua 22 and verse 3, Be careful to keep the charge the Lord your God gave to you. And then in Joshua 22 and verse 5, Be careful to observe the commandments of the Lord. Or in the New Testament, Ephesians 5 and verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, Jesus in Matthew 12, 36, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Do you see that we are on very solid scriptural ground when we apply this word caution to our lives wherever we are and whoever we are? Are with. In this back to school time, for students and parents and grandparents and teachers and personnel, and with applications for all of us, I have three cautions for us to reflect on this morning. I have three cautions for us to reflect on in this back to school season. Number one, perspective. In Matthew 6 and verse 33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. This is about what we must seek as first in life, above everything else. Being faithful citizens of the kingdom <clears throat> living your life in pursuit of righteousness. That's first. And wherever you go, and whoever you are with, and whatever your circumstance, <clears throat> whatever kind of difficulty you may encounter, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. 
This doesn't mean abandon every earthly pursuit altogether and just do kingdom work 24-7 and go live in a cave somewhere. Other passages in the New Testament instruct us to be responsible citizens, productive family members, ready to work, take care of ourselves, be busy serving our families in the community. But with all of that, and primarily above all of that, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So in pursuit of education, whether as a staff member, a principal, or a teacher, or a parent, or a student, as a Christian, seek first the kingdom of God you take with you into every school day. In all these things we do, job, school, recreation, there is this perspective that can never be dismissed. And it can be stated this way in three words. God is first. God is first. Nothing must compete with our citizenship responsibilities in the kingdom. God is first. Righteousness cannot be subjected to compromise with respect to career or recreation or education. God is first. Now, students, when you go back to school tomorrow or next week, whenever your school resumes, don't let that environment and social atmosphere take you away from what you now know is most important. And you've known it for some time. God is first. Be clear in your perspective that that is your personal highest priority. You are not just getting ready to graduate. You're getting ready for life. Your life is getting ready to leave this earth and go somewhere else. We want you to go to heaven, and we want you to keep that in mind even when you're in school, all entangled in the academic work and the social atmosphere, God is first. So when you come to this place, and we say to you, put God first, don't leave that expression here. Take it with you in your mind out into the arena of academic work. Now we're not saying neglect your education. We're not saying go to your class and just spend all the time praying and don't pay attention to the teacher. No, not that. We're not saying go off in a room somewhere with your Bible and shut out family and education and job. We are saying, and the New Testament is saying, in every aspect of responsibility that you have here on earth, God must be present and He must be first. We trust you'll remember that when you go back to school. Perspective. Seek first the kingdom. I want to talk to you very seriously about the new dangers in our society. The new dangers. 
I want to start at 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is about who your enemy is. Kids, parents, all of us. This is our enemy described. The devil doesn't want you to go to heaven. The devil doesn't want you to put the kingdom of God first in your life. The devil doesn't want you to live in pursuit of righteousness in your mind and your conduct. The devil is your enemy and he will use every method available to get at you and take you away from God out into the dark. The devil doesn't care if you want to go to school, but while there, he wants you to be influenced by the ungodly, worldly, corrupt element. The devil works overtime, and if he can tempt you and lead you away from God early in life, <clears throat> he considers that to be his advantage. But it's your eternal disadvantage to let him have his way with you, to conform to do what everybody else is doing, no matter if you know up here it's right. When you go to school, the devil is there. And he'll use every opportunity, every little social group, every word to try to get at you. A few years ago, the devil discovered a weapon he didn't have before. The devil's purpose has always been the same, to lead us into sin. But as time passes along, the devil may discover a weapon or a method that he didn't have before. Technology has provided us with new ways to spread the gospel. This afternoon, the sermon you're listening to now will be put on our website, and before the end of the week, there'll be 40 or 50 people who will tune in and listen to this sermon out through the website, some weeks more than that, sometimes from all over the world. Technology has handed to us great methods in the proclamation of the gospel. But technology has also provided the devil with new ways to get at your children. To exploit children and tear families apart. I want to illustrate these new dangers. I'm going to give you a hypothetical to set this up in order to make it as clear as I can. If the devil came to your front door and knocked and he said, let me into your house to destroy your marriage and take your children captive. I want your children to go off into eternal punishment 
Let me in so I can do that work. You wouldn't hesitate to slam the door. Get out of here. You can't come into my house. Is there a cable going into your house? Is there a cell phone signal coming into your home from the outside? Is there a modem, a router, a television, a satellite dish? We need to have honest discussions about the new dangers. The digital dangers are real. And the devil can use the new technology to get into your home and into the minds of your children just as we use the new technology to broadcast sermons for anybody around the world to hear. The devil can use that same technology very close to home. In fact, inside your home. And I realize when I come down as hard as I'm coming down on this, to some I sound like an old preacher, a Luddite, venting my wrath against technology. May I take a moment to persuade you otherwise? I have a cell phone, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I use a computer in my office every day. I have a website. The church has a website. The sermons, as I said, are recorded and then they're made available on the website. I'm not against technology. This church is not against technology. What I'm against is the careless use of technology. And what I'm against is being naive to the devil's access to our families and the minds of our kids through this technology. Parents need to face the challenges of this new technology, not only in their homes, but in the schools, where the buzzword today is Snapchat. That's what's happening at school that you may not even know about. I want to offer three simple things parents can do. We've talked to parents about this before here at Laurel Heights. I want to talk about it now. Apply caution. Don't be afraid of censorship. You pay the bill. Read those text messages. I'm going to make three suggestions. Number one, when you get home today, say to your kid, give me your phone. Now, you, you better do that pretty quick because after I've said this, they may fiddle with it before you get it. So if you want to, now you just reach over. But at other times, just randomly reach over and take that phone. Have your children hand over their phones at random times. See what pictures are on there and read those texts. Number two, lock down your home network so that nobody in your home can access the offensive, dangerous, ungodly websites. Just as you would close the door on the devil, 
Close the door on the network into your house. Number three, when your children are here in this place, don't let them access anything but their Bibles. Children, cooperate with your parents about this. Their interest is in protecting you and keeping you safe. I have lots of good information about this. If you want to speak to me about it later, and I have a son who has spent his career in technology. He can talk to you about how to lock down your home network. Keep the devil out. Get help. Be cautious. There's a roaring lion out there who is seeking access to your network to then get access into the minds of your kids. What are they watching? What pictures are on that phone? Caution number three. As your children return to school, I'm going to urge you to be cautious and thoughtful about what they wear. If the Bible didn't say anything on this subject, I wouldn't be able to say anything from the pulpit because my charge up here is to preach the Word. But we all know the Bible says something about what we wear. Here is a very quick review. In Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 10, a woman is described who can bring ruin to weak men because she is seductively dressed. It's brought up several times in Proverbs. That's reality. In Matthew 22, 1-14, in that parable, one implication of that parable is an acknowledgement of attire appropriate for an occasion. Appropriateness. There are some 18 verses in the Bible that associate nakedness with shame, except in the marriage relationship. And then there is, is this that you must acknowledge immediately is not Berkeley, but rather Paul. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. In selecting school clothes, worship clothes, everything we wear in public, the question is, Will we take what the Bible says into account? Or will we just look around at the world and see what the style is and imitate that without regard to what the Bible says? And to that I will add this word of reality. We are living in a time where there is a cultural epidemic of objectifying and abusing women. 
begging them to show their physical beauty rather than their godly beauty. You've heard from Paul. I want you to hear from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Again the question, will we take what the Bible says into account? Will our emphasis be the emphasis in Scripture in what we wear and how we adorn our children? I know I'm being very frank but I'm convinced it's necessary. There's this increasing assault of sexual images and sexual pressure. Pressure to push glamour and worldly standards of beauty on our children. We all know there are boys who need to pull their pants up. And there are girls who need to cover up. If men or boys see skin, and the more skin they see, the more they like you, what kind of men or boys are they? Boys and girls, when you look at the mirror before you leave the house, you need to remember not only are your parents looking, and we hope they are, Jesus is looking. Clothing choices need to be based on the emphasis given in Scripture, not on what the world says and the latest fashion. That generally plays in to a glamorous sexual image. It is caution that needs our attention. Modesty is a respectable manner of adorning one's body and caring oneself. Biblical modesty with that emphasis that God has given frees you from the world's definition of beauty and worth. <clears throat> Biblical modesty is a function of purity and care and a desire to draw attention to God's role in your life. The laws of the land may continue to expand and be permissive. The laws of the nation and state are not concerned with how close you get to nudity. School dress codes in some places seem to express the sad reality that board members and administrators have simply given up. Laws of men and codes of men may not be concerned with how close you are to nudity. God is. We have some great young people here who excel in their undertakings in school. 
Pastor. We're proud of you. And we have parents who participate well in what we offer here in Bible instruction. And you watch over your children carefully, and we, we thank you for that. We respect you for that. I see awards and honors on Facebook. And you'll see that I like and applaud all good accomplishments. We have some great parents here who appreciate the kind of bold cautions I've delivered. You're with me. You want your kids to hear this. May I remind us, every one of us are tempted. So we must continue to offer these cautions from Scripture. The young folks are tempted, the parents are, the grandparents are. No matter your age, your station in life, your experience, your time as a Christian, the devil is after us. He's trying to find a way into your family. We need the warnings of Scripture. Joshua says, be careful. Paul said, watch how you behave. Peter reminds us of our adversary. And Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I've been frank, and I know I've been tough. But I'm operating under a charge from God to tell you what His Word says. And to make specific applications in keeping with Scripture. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for good parents, for parents who take seriously their responsibilities, for teachers who are efficient and sincere, for members here who exhibit such good influence, for grandparents who do all they can to help, for Bible class teachers who are committed, for young people who are devoted to doing better, May all of these people in submission to Thee bring blessings to these children from Thy grace and for good discipleship to Jesus Christ. Help me to be helpful as a gospel preacher. Help Bill and I to be helpful as elders. May what we have considered today help and admonish and encourage and warn us of our adversary. And may all of this be to thy glory and to the honor of Jesus Christ who died for us. And in his name we pray. Amen. Let's be standing as we sing. <clears throat> Lead us, but we need